You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. This morning, um, we're continuing a series um, in Mark called The Suffering Servant. And um, I always make this joke with Oliver that whenever he asks me to preach, I feel like he's on purpose giving me something difficult to talk about. Um, amen is right, comrade. Um, and, I, you know, maybe it's because he he's, he's, you know, is like a mentor to me and he wants to grow me and, and make me stronger. I don't love it in the prep, but, you know, I'm going to do my best today. Um, we're going to be looking at three parables today. And so it's going to feel like there's three different things going on. So if you have ADHD, man, just hone it in. Just lock in with me a little bit. I promise it'll make sense at the end. Um, I do encourage you, please take notes if you have a journal or your phone, um, just to keep track and take things home. Um, but before we get into these parables, I want to share some statistics with you. And this is um, statistics about Christianity um, throughout the world, people who are following Jesus. So um, in the year 1900, um, the number of Christians around the world was estimated to be 160 million. As of 2021, it's estimated 2.38 billion people globally. So um, I'm not a math whiz, but 2.38 billion is more than 160 million by a lot. <laughs> okay, so in just like a little over 100 years, Christianity has um, continued to grow at an incredible rate. Another stat for you is Christianity right now is the religion with the highest estimated population globally. That means throughout the entire world, out of every religion you can think of, the most is coming of Christians. That the kingdom of God is the thing that is moving the most, reaching the most people. And as of 2022, there were more than 90 million Bibles printed in that year, globally, versus in 1900, 5 million, okay? Um, the Bible is still globally the most highest book sold. <laughs> like, everybody's got the Bible, you know? Whether they read it or not, I don't know, but they got a Bible, you know what I mean? Though numbers, if you were to look at like the map and you looked at the United States, the United States is one of the smallest numbers of growing faith. And I was telling the, the service before, there's a whole other sermon I could have about why in the most persecuted nations in the world, Christianity is growing the fastest and why in America it's actually diminishing. That's a whole other sermon I won't get into today. But there's something to note that even though it might feel in our scope and in our bandwidth that maybe Christianity isn't moving, maybe it's not popular, maybe people don't believe in God anymore, whatever it may be, that around the world, the kingdom of God is growing and expanding. Amen? That's good news. To think about all these scriptures that you read, all of these stories you read in the Bible about stinky, <laughs> stingy fishermen and tax collectors and a homeless rabbi... <laughs> who's like wandering around Jerusalem teaching the gospel, to think that out of that came 2.38 billion people following the Lord can only be by the Spirit of God, right? Because Jesus didn't have like a really great, uh, you know, Instagram page or YouTube channel, you know? Like he wasn't a, an influencer in that way, <laughs> right? He wasn't trying to get clout with people. He, he didn't have like a, a huge, you know, media following. People wanted to kill this man. He was unpopular, if you look at the scriptures. But today, more people want to follow Jesus than follow anything else around the world. So what does this have to do with parables? 
Parables, whenever Jesus tells a parable, has to do with the kingdom of God. If you look at the prodigal son, if you look at uh, the parable of the talents, um, the wheat and the tares, all of it is about kingdom. And it's not just about his kingdom coming, but it's the very culture of the kingdom. Now, what Jesus is trying to illustrate through his stories is he's trying to show you this is what kingdom life looks like. This is what it looks like to follow me. This is what it looks like to live in the kingdom. This is how you parent in the kingdom. This is how you do your money in the kingdom. This is how you, you know, stay healthy in the kingdom. All those things that people were thinking about, that's what parables do. Parables exist, and Jesus gives us parables to accomplish two goals, to understand truth and to apply that truth to our lives. Jesus knew the context of his audience, and he understood how to illustrate truth so that they could grasp it. We listen to parables now from a third-party perspective to understand who is speaking and who is listening so that we can interpret what significant truth Jesus is bringing to us. So instead of us reading these parables, I would hope and I would encourage you that instead of maybe you know, getting into a parable and rolling your eyes or maybe thinking this is too heady or philosophical for me, know that the purpose of why Jesus is bringing this is so that you would understand. Something that Oliver said last week that I loved is like, in a way, Jesus told parables to kind of confuse you. And it wasn't because he's a bully, it wasn't because he's malicious or mean, but because he wants you to come to him with questions. Because he wants to build that relationship with you, and that's what the parables are doing. They're pointing to the kingdom, and they're bringing us closer to Jesus. So more about the kingdom of God before we get into scripture. This is a a quote from David Platt, and he said this about the kingdom of God. I loved it. Because it's so succinct. He says, the kingdom of God is the redemptive rule and reign of God in Jesus. So if you ever think about the kingdom of God, and maybe it's overwhelming, and maybe you're like, God, it's some high up 30,000 foot clouds and gold, and I don't know what the kingdom of God is. This is the best definition of what it means that the kingdom has come. Jesus is the embodiment of redemptive rule and reign from the Lord, if that makes sense. Jesus comes to bring the rule and reign of God. That is you living in the kingdom. That means that I am not ruling and reigning reigning over my own life, but that he is. It means that I am not ruling and reigning in my household, but God is. It means I'm not ruling and reigning in my business, but God is. How I interact with people, how I argue, how I get into conflict and handle it, it is God's definition because he is ruling and reigning. And I am coming under his submission. Does that make sense? That is the kingdom of God. If you are ever confused, that is the kingdom of God. It is the rule and reign of God in Jesus, period. Okay? So as we go through these three parables today, it is all about the kingdom. And I've titled the sermon, um, Keys to the Kingdom, because I'm going to present a few keys, key concepts of what the kingdom is and what it's doing. Okay? So if you have a Bible, you can open to Mark chapter 4. We're going to be in verse 21. Mark 4, verse 21. And this is Jesus speaking. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. And consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. 
So already Jesus is getting into like Confucius say stuff. You know what I mean? You're just like, you know what I mean? (laughs) Hold on, Lord. You just said like 90 things, okay? So I have kids. And my daughter's about to be six next month. Literally in like under three weeks. She's going to be a six-year-old. Crazy. Six going on 16 for real. Like, it's not just a joke. Like, I mean it. Um, We are working on chores right now, kind of, you know? keeping your room cleaned up, helping out with the dishwasher. You know what I mean? Little things. And you know, for a five, six-year-old, little things are big things. You know what I mean? As a, when I was a 16-year-old, keeping my room clean, big thing, you know? And I used to, you know, like your parents, did your parents ever say, maybe you guys are like older parents in the room, you ever say to your kids, like, one day, you're going to know my peril, you know, like, you're going to know what I went through? My mom said that to me all the time. Like, I like, wouldn't clean my room. She's like, one day you're going to have kids, and you're going to know, like, how hard this was. And I was like, whatever, Mom. And here I am. Um, I walk in, and I'm like, you know, my, my daughter likes to change her clothes about 12 times a day. She, she just shifts out outfits. Like, there's an outfit for every moment, not just like, I mean, it's like, oh, we're going outside. Let me change my, we're coming back inside. Let me put a different outfit on. Took a bath. Oh, there's cozy clothes, and then there's PJs. You know what I mean? There's. I didn't know those were different, but I'm learning. And the, the responsible thing would be for Nora to put her clothes away, right? To, to, the clothes are all clean. None of these are dirty except for, like, you know, one pair of clothes. You go, and they're all over the floor. And I just try to be kind. You know, I'm like, hey, honey, can you just hang your clothes up? You know what I mean? Like, I'm not even, I'm irrelevant, you know? Um, sometimes she's even bold enough and kind enough just to go, no, daddy, I, I'm not going not to do that. And you don't want to, like, damage your kids, you know what I mean? You don't want to break them, because you're, they're going to grow up, and, like, you're going to pay that price when they're grown-ups. And so I'm always trying to be patient. My wife pushes me on that, be patient, kind. So you get creative with how you get your kids to do stuff, you know? you got to be on your toes. So what I started to do is I'd walk in, I'd go, hey, Nora, do you put your clothes on the roof? And she looks at me, she's six, you know, almost six, and she looks at me, she's like, where planet are you from? No, like, I'm like, right, right, right. I was like, do you take your clothes and do you put them in the oven? And she's like, no, Daddy, why would I do that? I'm like, great. I was like, do you take your clothes and put them in the toilet? Is that where they go? She's like, ah, you know, and she gets it. She's like laughing, like, oh, no, Daddy, ah, you know, you're so funny. Um, I'm like, great, where do the clothes go? Go in the hamper, they go in the closet, they go in the drawer, whatever. Great. And then, uh, then she still doesn't put them away. But, you know, it's good to, it's good to try. Amen. <laughs> Jesus understands that in order to communicate something, this isn't just a, a parenting technique. This is a communication technique. Okay. Jesus is smart. Um, he's not playing jazz. You know what I mean? He's not out there like, mm, let me think of what I'm going to say next. Like, he knows exactly what he's saying, what he's doing. A lamp in 6 AD would be a clay pot full of oil. It is an open flame, okay? So he's going, would you take an open flame and put it under a wicker basket? And everyone's like, no. (laughs) You know, like, of course you wouldn't do that. Would you take an open flame and put it under your bed, which is probably made of straw and, and animal skin? No, I wouldn't do that. Where does a lamp go? A lamp goes on the stand. Why? Because a lamp has a purpose, right? We use a lamp to light the house. We use a fire to cook food and to stay warm. And what this image 
is meaning for the people listening is he is saying, I am that light. And I have come with a purpose. My purpose isn't to be, you know, hidden away. My purpose isn't to be put under, you know, hide it under a bushel. No, like my purpose is to be seen and to share what I have. What the further New Testament would say is that he has come to glorify himself. Okay, that is why Jesus comes and he says, I am here to do that. However, there's a caveat. And he says this in 22, 23, whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. If it's a birthday party and it's a surprise, the person for the birthday saw that come over, we're going to go, we're never going to say happy birthday and surprise. You know, like it's meant to come out. Obviously, I'm here on purpose. And he says, if anybody has ears to hear, let him hear. That means if you want to hear what I'm saying, you'll hear it. But consider carefully what you hear. He continued, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Why is he saying this? Why is he talking about, I'm here to be glorified. I'm here to be the Messiah. I'm here to do what you think I'm here to do. Why is he having to clarify and asking you to consider what you're hearing? Because we can see Jesus from a distance, and we can see him objectively, but sometimes we can miss why he's here and why we're following him, right? We can get caught up in certain doctrines or certain theologies or certain mindsets and be thinking something about Jesus that is not true about him. And so he's saying, consider what you're hearing, not just that I'm talking, but that there's other people talking. Consider what you hear on CNN. (laughs) Consider what you hear on social media. Consider what you read in the newspaper. Consider what that guy's saying. Consider what the Pharisees are saying. Consider all the voices because they're not all me, right? So what does that have to do with his glorification, with his coming? Because here's just an interesting thing to think about. What did Jesus come to do in the most blunt, graphic way possible? What did he do? At the end of his life. He died, right? He came to die. If, if you're running for mayor or something, and you're trying to get people to follow you, campaign day one, do you get up and say, hey, guys, here's the mission statement. I'm going to die. Like, I'm not voting for that guy. Maybe you are. I'm not. And Jesus knows this. If he's going to get this wounded, hurt, pained, negatively impact, oppressed people to follow him, If he comes and says, I'm coming to die, do you think anyone's listening anymore? Probably not. Because he is Jesus to us because we're looking backwards. You know who he is to them? A homeless teacher who's a carpenter on the side. Like, and he's standing in a boat yelling at me from the shore. Like, if he says, I'm going to die, no one's going to listen. And this is where my first point, the kingdom is here and it's on its way. That's what Jesus is talking about. The kingdom is here, and it's on its way. He has come. He says at the beginning of Mark, I have come. The kingdom is here now, right? But he also says to his disciples at different moments that my time has not yet come. So he's presently here, but his time has not yet come. What time? Time to be glorified, right? So the whole point of this first parable is to say, I am here to do what you think I'm here to do. I am here to bring salvation. I am here to be king over Israel and king over the earth. I need you to trust my timing in it. That I'm not about to go and just start murdering Romans. You know what I mean? Like, that's not what I'm here to do. That's what they wanted, right? That's what we want. So we want stuff now from God. We want stuff now from the president. We want stuff now 
from our politicians. We want stuff now from our bosses and our spouses and our kids. Now, now, now. And Jesus is saying, all of this good stuff is going to happen. I just need you to wait. Because if I did it now, you wouldn't get it. If I did it too soon, it would be too late. You know what I mean? Are you guys tracking with me? It's all about timing. So he's saying the lamp is here. It's here to illuminate the house, and he will continue to do that. But if you watch Jesus' life throughout the Gospels, it's all invitation at the beginning. By the end, he is only talking about his death. At the end, that's all he talks about. And then I'm going to die. And they're like, dude, what? Like, we've done all this three, three years of ministry. What are you talking about? That is what is coming. So his, in, his invitation to us in this first parable is that we would entrust ourselves to him and to his timing. That we would entrust ourselves to, lead, to let Jesus lead us to spiritual illumination in a deeper connection with his divine purpose, okay? What you're going to find through this whole thing is that I'm trading the kingdom of me for the kingdom of heaven. And in order for me to trade the kingdom of heaven and receive that, I need to start trusting in what he's doing. I need to trust in his purpose. All right, verse 26, parable number two. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. You would see every Jewish farmer just sitting there going, yep, sounds about right, yep. I'll just, I'll just put it down, it just grows, I don't know what happens. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Key number one was kingdom is here is on its way. Key number two is the kingdom is coming with or without you. With or without you. So um, another story. Uh, I had this old laptop, MacBook from like 2010 brick of a thing. It was huge. And it didn't work anymore. Couldn't get it to power up. You know, If it did power up, it just gave me the folder with a question mark. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's like, there is no hard drive here. Someone do something. I'm about to throw it away or, you know, get rid of it. Nora runs up. Can I play with that? Why not? It doesn't work. No harm. You know, sure. Later on, I'm working at home. I'm on my laptop at the dining room table and Nora runs up that big old laptop in her hands. She sets it down right beside me, opens it up. On a blank screen, there's nothing there. I look over, I'm like, hey, honey, what are you doing? She's like, I'm working. I was like, what are you working on? She said, music. I was like, I was like, is that what you think daddy does? She's like, yeah, you just play music all day. I was like, that's mildly true. Some of that is true. There was something so sweet about that because Nora... You know, she wants to connect with me, right? Some, if there's anything I've noticed about my kids, is like they just want you to notice them, you know? Just want you to look at them and be like, great job. That's all they want, you know? And they're happy. They're so satisfied. And Nora consistently, you know, she would do that from time to time. She'd run in there with her laptop and play on it. Nora is obviously not doing my work, right? That laptop is not opening to my scheduling software and getting the set list together. She's not doing any of that. You know, she's not sermon prepping for me. I'm doing that. And if she did, whew, there was one time I walked in, and Malachi, my little boy, he's like three, he was click-clacking on my computer, and it was just a Word document, like, like random things. And I, I was a little worried that it was an email, but it wasn't, thank the Lord. But, but 
Nothing that Nora did with that old laptop would affect my work. However, did we both enjoy her working beside me? 100%. One of the most freeing and convicting things in our relationship with God is the reality that the Father does not need us. Okay? That might sound negative. And it's not because it's freeing, if you'll let it be freeing, okay? God does not need anything from any of us, ever, (laughs) ever. His kingdom is moving and going. The world, the stats we just read, is growing in the kingdom of God. And you and I are here in Greenville. Do you understand? Over in Africa, over in Europe, all over the world, the kingdom is moving, and you and I are sitting right here. We had nothing to do with it. But the beautiful piece about our walk with the Lord is that he wants to do it together. Do you understand? It goes back to Corinthians when Paul says that maybe I plant the seed. Maybe Apollos, another leader, waters the seed in the soil. But who brings the increase? God brings the increase. God is growing that plant. God is growing your faith. God is growing the kingdom of God. You are not. But you have been invited to join with him. Does that make sense? In a world where where we've been taught through our faith at times, and I mean this world, this American world, right? In the United States, we have been taught to follow rules and we have been taught to do certain practices and disciplines, all of which are good for you, right? It's good for us to be disciplined and practice in our faith. We have made that the faith. And we think that, well, because I know my Bible better than so-and-so over here, I must be in a better spot. But you can know your Bible really well and your kids hate you. That's right. Am I lying? You can you can uh, pray every morning, right, and have a very bad, estranged relationship with your coworkers. They don't like you. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not saying it's the truth for anybody in here, but I'm just trying to get you to understand the weight of you can be practicing your faith but not actually have a faith. Okay. And what Jesus is showing you is that assuming that you are controlling your life and controlling your peace in this kingdom relationship is just foolishness because he's the one doing everything. He doesn't need you, but he wants you. And if we come from a place of, oh, I'm wanted here. I know I don't have much to bring, but I'm wanted here. I get to find joy in what I'm doing. I'm not doing it to earn something because there's nothing to earn, right? It's been earned. Grace has covered you. Mercy has covered you. You have been bought and paid for. You're supposed to be here. You have the ticket in your hand. It's done. So now the rest of your life, you get to enjoy serving the Lord. You get to enjoy bringing the gospel into your home. You get to enjoy being a light in your dark workplace. You get to enjoy that. So then why is it so hard? It's because your stinking flesh wants nothing to do with it. (laughs) Your flesh wants to go party. (laughs) You know, your flesh wants to sit home and watch football all day. Like, that's what your flesh wants. I love football, by the way. No, no harm to, to football. Anybody, y'all going to watch a lot of games today. That's cool. Um, but I hope you understand what I'm saying. Jesus isn't being aggressive. He's not saying, like, I don't need you. He doesn't. But, man, I want you. Sometimes Malachi, when I'm out cutting the grass, and we do this safely, by the way, he'll, uh, he'll like, grab onto the bars in front of me, and I'll be, like, driving the mower, and I'll just walk slowly. Is Malachi cutting the grass? No. But he thinks he is. He'll go inside. He'll go, Mommy, I cut the grass. You know? I'm bringing him in because that's fun. That's connecting. We are connecting, right? 
because we're doing something together, and that's what the Lord wants from us. The kingdom of God is coming with or without you, but you want to go where it's going because the grass is greener on the other side. The only prerequisite to kingdom life is the faith to believe that God is working all things together for good and glory. From there, we simply get to sit back and watch him grow his kingdom in and around us. All right, verse 30. Parable number three. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed. Any of you guys seen a mustard seed before? Smallest seed in the world. You can almost miss it. Mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet, when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants. With such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Key number one about the kingdom is the kingdom is here and on its way. Key number two is the kingdom is coming with or without you. Key number three is that the kingdom is bigger and better than you could ever imagine. Something that um, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit more of like a thinker type guy. I love learning. I love like reading. Something I love in scripture is when um, things start to like connect. Old Testament, New Testament. You know what I mean? Sometimes there will be a prophecy. You read somewhere in like Joel and then you're reading somewhere down the line, and it's like answering that prophecy, and you're like, wait, what? You know, like your mind's blown. Hopefully. Maybe you're not, and you're like, that sounds boring, but there is something to what Jesus is saying, specifically this last verse that says, it becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. You and I all know birds. We know that birds like to sit in trees, right? But it's deeper than this. Look at Ezekiel chapter 17, verse 22. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I myself will take a shoot from the very top of a cedar and plant it. I will break off a tender sprig from its topmost shoots and plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. All the trees of the forest will know that I, the Lord, bring down the tall tree and make the low tree grow tall. I dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. In case you are unfamiliar, this is Jesus. Jesus is the shoot from the very top of a cedar, and Jesus is the one being planted. Jesus was taken from heaven, brought down to be low like a man, and gave up his life. He was planted into the earth by death, and then he resurrected and grew into what we just read about. A beautiful mustard plant that gives us shade in which all the nations of the earth go to find its shade. So what is he saying about the kingdom of God? He's saying that what we're doing, you and I right now in, in this 2023, working your jobs, raising your kids, hanging out with your friends, can feel like you are just, you are a mustard seed in the kingdom of God. That you and I can feel like we are doing nothing for our faith, doing nothing with our faith. But know that you are a part of a global 2.38 billion person faith, a kingdom of which so many people are finding shade and adding to the shade, if that makes sense. Okay? You and I are a part of a faith that goes 2,000 plus years. Even before that, okay? you and I are part of something that is global, something that goes beyond you and I in our everyday struggles and troubles. You and I are a part of something that is bigger and, and more qualitatively more excellent than you could ever imagine. 
And these disciples, these fishermen, these tax collectors, probably these you know, Jewish leaders, they have no clue what he's saying because they can't even think about what the future looks like in Jesus. They can't even think about what the kingdom looks like. But this is here. Jesus is telling us this to encourage you that if you're here today and you're tired of your faith, if you're here today and you are bored, if you are here today and you're annoyed or you're hurt or you're frustrated, you are a part of something that is, as he already said, is moving in all of those feelings you have. And not only is it moving on without us, if we're not active, but it's even giving you shade because of grace. He still invites you to come up under that tree. He still invites you to come sit at its roots, sit at its base and receive life, even if you feel like you are stagnant. The reality is that you and I could spend the next 30, 40, 50, 60 years of our lives and do absolutely nothing for the kingdom of God. And Jesus will welcome you at the end of your life with open arms. But do you want to spend the rest of your life that way? Is what Jesus is saying. The whole point of all three of these parables is to say the light has come, but trust my timing. The kingdom is moving with or without you, but I want you to be a part of it because this kingdom is going to take over the world. And my tree will cover the entire world of all history, of all time, forever, and eternity. And I want you to come be a part of that. Because you can be a part of it now and receive the shade. You know what I mean? I said in the last service, it's not negative shade, just in case some of y'all are getting lost. It's not like throwing shade. He's throwing good shade, okay? But you can receive that shade, amen? You can receive that life. You can receive that grace, that impact in your own life. But he's asking that we would follow, that we would trust. So in conclusion, with that, if you desire more peace in your life, if you're here and you're like, man, I am stressed or I'm bored, all those things I just said. If you desire more peace in your life, guess what? It's Jesus. Jesus is saying, look no further than the Prince of Peace. Look no further than here. If you desire more hope in your life, look no further than the hope of the world. If you desire more rest, more grace, more purpose, see the empty tomb in the shade of the kingdom that covers you right now in your sadness, that covers you right now in your depression, that covers you right now in your frustration, your annoyance, that covers you right now and you sticking your nose up at whatever. You are covered and seen and still being carried into this kingdom purpose. And he will do it even if he has to drag you. Amen? And I'm so glad he does. <laughs> like the statistics I shared at the beginning, the story of the kingdom is the smallest of beginnings blossoming into the greatest impact the world has ever seen. These parables teach us that the kingdom comes to save and sustain. It's not just that Jesus came that we might be saved and that he dipped out. He came to save us, to seal us for eternity. And then he gave us the spirit of himself that we might be sustained the rest of our days. If we can learn to trust in his timing as well as his promise. These parables, they teach us that the kingdom comes not because of us, but for us and the glory of Christ. They teach us that the kingdom comes to shelter us, to heal us, and to empower the earth with the Spirit of God. As we live in this already not yet reality of the kingdom, the question becomes, what do I do now? So maybe you're here and, man, um, you, you're living in 2023, and you're like, man, I am on my last church leg. I'm on my last religion leg. I don't know how much more I can do this. This church thing has hurt me more than it's helped me. This church thing has bored me more than it's encouraged me. And I, I'm just here out of obligation. The beautiful thing is that the Spirit's here to meet you. He is. 
And he's not here, you know, with his, with his foot tapping and his arms crossed and going like, about time you showed up. You know, he's here because he loves you and because he wants you. And I think these parables would invite us to do three things. Number one is to stand in the light of salvation. To allow the warmth of the sun, capital S-S-O-N, the sun, to heal your soul and restore your strength as you wait for the appointed time when Jesus returns. I think that these parables teach us to get our hands dirty with kingdom work. If you're bored in your faith, if you feel purposeless in your faith, go do something. You know, you don't have to move to Zimbabwe or something. Like, you can walk out those doors and do kingdom work. You can go say hello to somebody. You can be kind to somebody. That's doing kingdom work. Go get your hands dirty. And finally, these parables teach us to find comfort under the shades of grace. This is not a marathon where, like, we are just being pushed to win. This is a marathon of about, like, lasting a long time, making it to the finish line. It's not about winning the finish line with Jesus. It's about making it to the finish line. And if we're here to make it to the finish line, we cannot, we cannot afford to trust in ourselves. We cannot afford to fight for things like success and ambition and our appetite, trying to get satisfied all the time. We cannot do that. We have to look to Jesus and just trust him and trust his timing, trust his purpose, that his purpose has value, more value than mine, and trust that he will carry us forward. And that the beautiful thing, something I've always loved about following the Lord, is we get to fail forward doing it. You can skip, limp, trip all the way up until the end of your days because grace will carry you that far. He is not asking for perfection. He's just asking for you to follow. And in that, the kingdom comes like a beautiful tree to cover the world and cover those around you. We're going to do our intentional questions. I'll have the worship team come up. I always say every time, I just want to own it. I hate this part of service. Man, I'm just trying to get people to get on stage. It's like so awkward, distracting. I wish it was like magic. Just poof, they're there. But if you have a journal and you're, you're taking notes, please write these down. Um, I'd love for these questions, too, to be prayer points, not just like, oh, you know, let me ponder this. Like, no, go to the Lord in prayer and ask. Are you directing your steps, or is the Spirit directing your steps? Are you in control of your life, or at least feel like you are? <laughs> or are you entrusting your life to the Lord? Number two is, are you fighting for control over your own life, or have you surrendered your days to Jesus. The thing about, as I said before, about our flesh is that our flesh just wants the things of the world. Our flesh just wants to sin. Our flesh just wants to do the wrong thing, always. And we have to understand that, okay? If that is the truth, I have to make a conscious effort to do the opposite, okay? And throughout your life, through sanctification, the Lord changes and works on you and it's a beautiful thing, but it's still something you have to try at. And that's where that surrender piece comes in. I have to look and go, okay, it is easier to take control. It is easier to do what I want. But Lord, can you just take this and lead me? Lead me in the ways of your kingdom. And then the last one, will you spend your life resting in the presence and purpose of Jesus or scrounging for purpose in this world? I watched a video recently, it was a guy, um, he interviewed, it's like a bunch of gazillionaires, you know what I mean? It's like the 1% of the 1%, like dude's just with too much money, you know. 
and they're all like older and um, he asked them all the same question. He's like, do you have any regrets in your life? And all of them said the exact same thing. I wish I wouldn't have spent as much time building this as I had. There was a guy who had been married like five times and he was like, that was a mistake. I blew through these marriages because I didn't know what I wanted. And I hurt so many people. I have these kids and I didn't hang out with them because I didn't know what I wanted. And I thought money was a thing because I was good at that. I could go to work and I could earn a bunch of cash. And I'm miserable now. These, like some of these guys are sitting in their private jet and crying, like regretting life. And as a Christian, though, you're like, yeah. <laughs> It's Jesus. You know, you're like trying to give and understand. And, and I would say like God cares about that. He cares about like, that's the stuff he cares about. It's your family. He cares about people, you know. But deeper than that, what should that teach us? It should teach us that you will live your life and you will wear yourself out for things that are going to burn and rust away. Right? When you could be just investing your heart and your soul and your moments and your frustrations, and, and your disappointments, and your anger, you can entrust all that to the Lord, and just receive that purpose that is eternal, that goes beyond the grave for you, so that when you're faced with that threshold of death, and you're looking at that doorway, you're not sitting there fearful, and afraid of what's on the other side, but you're like, I'm so glad I get to continue this imperfect harmony and union with Jesus. There's two pictures of heaven in the book of Revelation. The first one, is that we're all gathered around the throne looking at Jesus, and Jesus is the light that radiates heaven. There's no sun, it is the sun, okay? It's Jesus radiating the light in heaven. The second picture is that there's a feast going on, and that we are all gathered around this table, and we are just sharing a meal with Jesus, and we are just telling him, Lord, thank you that you carried me through all of that. You're looking back, and you'll look back at moments, and you'll be so grateful that you followed him. You'll be so grateful that you chose him you'll be sitting around a table laughing and crying with Jesus about it. If that's your reality forever, what are you doing right now to prepare for that? And is what you're doing right now going to carry you over to the other side? And is it going to go with you? That's Jesus's challenge. He has come to bring the kingdom of God. He is here. Okay? And his, his kingdom is continuing to come just showed you guys the numbers and it just keeps growing it's not going anywhere it's not unpopular it's not uncool it is the real deal so do not waste your life on stupid stuff spend your life on jesus thanks again for joining us if you have been encouraged or challenged by this message please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast for more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.